the Bible given up? Okay. So, like the, like the last few sermons I gave previously, I'm going to focus on the attributes and characteristics of God. But before I do so, I believe that I need to recap on the last few sermons that I gave within the week Pastor Tony was away, only because I believe it's going to be a great follow-on from my previous teachings. So, last time I taught, like I stated, like Paul wrote in the book of Philippians 3, it is no trouble for me to say the same things to you again, for it is a safeguard for you. Just to double check, is this recorded now, Bruno, yeah? Okay, so um, join me as we open up in prayer. Um, Father Lord, I just bless your name for you are glorious, Lord. I just thank you for this opportunity given. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for the congregation, Lord. I pray that you would make us, you would give us fertile hearts, Lord. I pray that you would continue to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. Father, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts, Father Lord. That you would bless us with spiritual wisdom and understanding in the revelation of Jesus Christ, Lord. That we would be able to understand and comprehend this word. So we wouldn't just be hearers but doers, Lord. I pray this word would challenge us today. That it would cause us to thirst and hunger for holiness, for righteousness. For we can only be satisfied in you and you alone. So Father, I pray that you move mightily today. Father, I pray that you, you would be saving today for you are willing to save. So I give you praise and I exalt you. I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your mercy. I pray that you speak through me, that I may speak clearly, Father Lord, that everybody will be able to understand what I'm trying to depict and explain today in your word. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So as I was saying, sorry. Um, the last couple of times I was given the opportunity to preach, I know I came down pretty hard. Uh, my focus was on salvation and the ability to understand God's attributes and his characteristics of his grace and mercy. And I did that by outlining two main things. Um, the first thing was the essence and nature of mankind, in which I used scripture from the book of Ephesians. Sorry from the book of Ephesians chapter 2 to portray the fact that sin wasn't just a concept of doing something bad or evil, but sin was the actual nature of of man. It was actual the essence of man. And Ephesians told us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world and were by nature children of wrath. Um, I also tugged on the point of our self-deception in regards to how we love to convince ourselves that we are good people. And we did this via comparison. So looking at a neighbor or a celebrity or a carnal Christian. And then by that standard, by that standard, we would convince ourselves to believe in we are good people. Um, so I talked about man failing to understand that human characteristics are really subjective. So um, human goodness, um, human intelligence, human beauty is, is all subjective. And I gave the example Um, of three guys in the gym regarding strength, saying that the strongest and biggest person in the gym would change each time a bare athlete walked into the gym. So to really compare yourself, to really compare your goodness, you'd have to compare it to someone of perfection or what the Bible would call holy. And that statement brought us to Christ Jesus. Um, The second thing I stressed on was on the point how I believe it it was vital, absolutely vital that Christians, believers, understood and grasped how our Father saw and viewed our sin, and even what we would call the smallest of our sins. And I did this by going through the Old and New Testament. Um, I did this by pointing to the sacrificial system in the book of Leviticus, and Christ's journey to the cross from the betrayal of his own, 
from his torture right up to his crucifixion. And I did this to make you realize that this wasn't just about what the carnal Christian throws about and saying, hey, God loves me, God loves me, but it was also meant to show you that this is how God views your sin. He doesn't tolerate it, he hates it. So allowing you to grasp on how sinful mankind is and how our nature and essence is sin-based, I then allowed you to see his grace and mercy in which Ephesians 2, 4, 5 states, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Um, I then focused on showing you that this was the good news. Despite mankind being so wicked, so evil, and God being the just judge that he is, that he should rightly damn every single one of us for our sinful nature, for our, our wicked behavior, the, the good news, the gospel is not that he damns, but that he's willing to save that God is willing to save. And I showed you this within scripture, looking at the book of Romans. And we looked at the, the woman called Lydia, the seller of purple, and how it says the Holy Spirit opened the eyes that when Paul preached the gospel, she got saved, and not only her, but her whole household. And then within the same scripture we saw it with the jailer, um, he got saved and his whole household as well. So God is willing to save. He's willing to save. And then the second part of the sermon was actually a recap of a sermon that I had preached within that week on the Wednesday night. And I was talking about not drifting away from this great salvation. And that sermon was based on Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 3, in which it says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, or some versions might say a just penalty, a, a just punishment. How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So I was trying to display the same urgency and passion as the writer of Hebrews had at the time when he was writing to these Jewish Christians. He was pleading with you guys, not to neglect this awesome gift of salvation now that he really understood what God's grace and mercy was and what it meant for us. I was pleading with you guys to pay much closer attention, not to drift away from what you heard. Not to drift away, not to neglect Christ, because if you did, how would you escape this just retribution, this just penalty? How would you escape if you neglected such a great salvation? So, I know within the Wednesday teaching, I touched on application, meaning I gave us tools that we could use as believers, as, as followers of Christ, to, to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, to not neglect this great salvation. And I touched on um, the Word, how it's important to be in your Word daily. The Bible talks about renewing your mind. I talked about the essence of prayer and the essence of being in fellowship, walking with Christians that are fervent in spirit, that are passionate about the things of the Lord because it causes you to be passionate about the things of the Lord also. And then on the Sunday, I didn't really touch on application because I wanted, us, I wanted to give ample time for us to respond in worship to what we had heard. So, in today's sermon, my aim is to try and inspire and create some sort of desire within that would cause you to refrain from drifting away, that would cause you to refrain from neglecting this great salvation, from neglecting Christ. So ultimately, the whole sermon is going to be based and highlighting the goodness of God as Romans 2.4 states that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But in saying that, my main focus is going to be in the area of 
God delighting in us, God delighting in his children. So, if you would open up your Bibles to Matthew 3, I'm going to pick it up from verse 13. And just to state that most of the verses I'm reading is going to be from the ESV, the English Standard Version. If you put your hand up and you've got a Bible from Naomi or one, it's probably the New King James Version. There's nothing wrong with that. I just prefer to read the ESV. If you want to follow me word by word, the scriptures that I'm going to be reading word by word is going to be on the screen behind me. So you all just say Amen when you're there and I know when to stop. You lots awake? Yeah? Cool. And it says 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. This is Christ Jesus. And behold, a voice said from heaven, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, Before Jesus healed the sick, before he cast out any demons, before he preached on repentance, before he preached preached on the kingdom being at hand, before he went off to fast, before he gathered his disciples, before he taught them how to pray, before dying on the cross, before being tortured for our iniquity, before being tortured for the iniquity of mankind, before any ministry took place, we hear the Father proclaim in verse 17 of Matthew 3, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, one of the main issues for not paying much closer attention and for drifting away from this great salvation, neglecting this great salvation, other than our struggle for sin, our struggle and battle with sin, is not actually grasping the fact that God enjoys us, that God delights in us. Now, I know a couple of you may be thinking, yeah, but the verse you just read is in regards to Jesus, so... How does that apply to us? And I'm well aware of that. But before I explain why I use that passage, I'm going to read a couple of verses, a couple of scriptures throughout different books of the Bible to portray God's delight for his children, for the believer. So you don't need to turn there. They're all going to be on the screen behind me. So the first one is Zephaniah 3.17. And scripture says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Amen. Psalms 147 verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the last one, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Listen, I don't doubt for a second that if I was to ask all the believers in this room, do you think God loves you? Your response would not be, 
your response would be, yes, of course he loves me. Some of you would even quote John 3.16 to me. I'm not mentioning no names, but yeah. But I believe if I sat down with each one of you as an individual and then posed this question, do you believe God delights in you? Do you believe God rejoices in you? Do you believe he enjoys you right now at this moment? I think then some of us would find it difficult to answer such questions. Reason being, when we look at our spiritual mirror, when we look at the word of God, and we see our downfalls, and we see our shortcomings, our miserable attempts to attain holiness, our lack of discipline to refrain from sin, the holes and gaps in our character. We struggle with the thought that our Heavenly Father delights in us and enjoys us now. And I stress the word now because I want you to realize that nothing you do as an adopted child of the Father changes the love that He has for you. Listen, God didn't, just, God didn't t- just tolerate you when you first became a believer, when you first got saved because you was in the early parts of sanctification, you were still struggling with certain sin. You were still walking with a carnal mindset and then begin to delight and enjoy you once you start to grow in faith and holiness. He delighted in you then and he delights in you now. And the example that I gave to the saints at the Covent Garden study when I taught this was the relationship between a father and his baby girl. The father doesn't despise the baby girl between the ages of zero to six months because the majority of the time is spent calming her from crying and, and, and cleaning up after her. And then delights in her as a toddler because she's able to communicate to him and show him the affection that the father desires. The father delights in his child at all stages of her life. Does it make sense? But let me clarify this. God doesn't, God, God doesn't delight in you because you're so delightful. It's harsh, but that's the truth. This is why I keep on talking about the amazing work of Christ, what he's done for us on the cross, through his death, through his resurrection, taking upon our sin and imputing his perfect, his holy, his, his holy righteousness in us who would believe. Colossians 1, 19, 23 would say it like this. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. There again, not drifting away, not neglecting Christ. But let me read 22 again. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Listen, God delights in us because of Christ. Christ has made the believer holy. He's made the believer blameless. He's made the believer above reproach before the Father. He delights in you. He delights in you now. Even in, your, even in your downfalls. Listen, Christ paid it all. Scripture tells us in Galatians 20, um, sorry, Galatians 2, um, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul speaking. The believer has been crucified with Christ. And that being the case, it's no longer you who live, but Christ that lives in you. And the life that you live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who loved you and gave himself up for you. So, for the people that hear this message and think, wow, his grace is amazing, 
He delights in me even in my downfalls. I'm going to continue to sing because Christ paid it all. It just shows that you, you don't really understand the gospel and then you're not truly born again. You're not truly regenerated. Because if you continue to read within the verse of Galatians, Paul talks about not nullifying the grace of God. Also, if you look in the book of Romans, chapter 6, Paul talks to the believer and says, we too, the believer, we too, should we too continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But that's just another sermon for another time. So, God delights in us. God delights in us. Why did I read the scripture from Psalm, I mean Matthew 3, you say? And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. As I stated earlier, before Jesus carried out any form of ministry, any form of ministry, we read that God cried out, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In relation to us, in relation to you, once you've accepted this gift of salvation, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do to earn the love that has been granted, that has been placed in you. I, I found that most Christians, this, not my, this may not apply to all of you, but most Christians treat their relationship with God as they do their earthly ones. Whether that be with your father, your parents, your siblings, your workmate, your friends, whoever. So with our earthly relationships, we have to earn a person's love and trust. We have, we have to earn a person's love and trust. So at times we... we we forget that we've done nothing to earn this love that God has, that God has for us. It all falls down to Christ. So we, so we just can't imagine that he delights in us and that he delights and rejoices in us now. It's hard for us to grasp this because we feel we have to do something to be accepted. We feel we have to do something to be loved. Let me give you an example to try and explain and depict um, what I mean. Um... So have you ever betrayed someone? Have you ever lied to someone? Or better yet, have you ever, have you ever failed to reach someone's expectation? Um, the example I gave to the people in the Common Garden study on Tuesday was um, a close friend failing to attend someone's party or, or wedding. So in this reference, I'm just going to embarrass people. You all know that, um, what's it called? Um, Janae's engaged. So let's just say that... Um, <laughs> Um, Amina is her, not best man, what's the woman's version? There you go. Maid of Honor. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, so Amina's Janae's Maid of Honor. And basically, when the wedding comes, Amina doesn't turn up. No valid excuse, she's just not there. What's Amina's natural response? What, what does that result in? It results in avoidance. Whether how long or short the period is, she's going to avoid Janae. Or she might go the other way and desperately try to earn her love and respect by, by doing something that she feels would please her. So I don't, know what, I don't know what she would do in that circumstance. Maybe pay for their honeymoon or something. But Yeah. So if you failed someone, if you've let them down, your response is going to be... Sorry. Your response is going to be, I'm going to avoid you for a while. So we, if we adopt that mindset with, with our Heavenly Father, it's like, oh my goodness, I've, I've flopped him again. I've, I've, I've screwed up again. I'm going to avoid him. And, and what does that look like for the believer? Missing church? Not reading the word? Not praying? Avoiding the saints? Avoiding our brothers and sisters in Christ? Just avoiding everything to do with Jesus? Or we go the other way, in which... 
we um, try to say, let me do this or let me do that so me and God will be cool again. And that either breeds self-righteousness or we just fail in trying to do what we think will make God, us, make God love us again. So, in regards to me reading from Matthew 3, what I'm trying to get at is, God did not start delighting in you once you started doing quote-unquote ministry stuff. So, evangelizing or singing in the choir or teaching his word. He delights in you then and he delights in you now. He delights in you now because of Christ. As I read in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer you who lives, but Christ that lives in you. So I really, really want you guys to, to grasp this, that the King of Kings, that the creator of all things, the one who is sovereign over every cell and every atom, he delights in you, that he rejoices in you. And, and, and I want you to grasp this in the fact that don't think us, Think you, the king of kings, if you're an adopted child, if you're a believer, that he delights in you. So, so the best way for me to kind of, you know, let it resonate with you, like the way it resonated with me when I, when I, when I studied this, was to really explain what salvation is. Um, if you fail to understand how salvation works, if you fail to understand God's love, you're always going to put yourself in a position where you feel you have to measure up. You're going to put yourself in a position where you think you have to do everything right in order for God to truly love you. So the best way for me to depict this or explain this is, is going to be with a personal example. Um, the relationship I had growing up with my parents was different to that of my classmates or from what they told me anyway. Um, I now stand here knowing, knowing that they truly love me. Um, both my parents truly loved me, but growing up, I personally didn't feel that was evident at certain times. So I'm not going to go into too much detail to, I don't want to drift away from the sermon, but what I can say is that um, growing up, I learned that there were certain things that pleased my parents. So whether that be cleaning or cooking or what, anything, I, um, I learned that certain things would please my parents and I did this because it would lead to tangible and physical affection. And why do I tell you this is because we at times carry the same mindset with our Heavenly Father. That we are loved as long as we can perform accordingly. That we are loved as long as we can perform accordingly. But that's not love as the Bible teaches. Listen. Um, there's something that I, how can I How can I explain this? Okay. You know, yeah, so we carry the mindset that we are, um, what's it called, loved as long as we can perform, loved as long as we can perform accordingly. But as I said, you need to understand that God delights in you, and he delights in you now. And best way to explain it is to start with the most obvious reason. He saved you. And the reason why I said the best way for me to explain or for you to catch the the God's character of delight in his is. In his, in his children is via salvation is because a failure to understand salvation you're always going to be walking with that um, um, measure up and perform accordingly mindset so if salvation occurs or happens because you did it if salvation occurs or happens because you did it then it has no implication of God's love and affection for you why? because all the weight's on your shoulders you've made this glorious exchange now, for the person who's self-righteous, 
that, might, that must be a lovely notion for you, but it's just not biblical. If you are saved, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are born again, if you are regenerated, meaning the old man has died, you are a new creation, you didn't do that. God did. And you have to understand this, that even the faith that you have, even the faith that you have is not yours. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 would say it like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Listen, God met us in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our sin, and sent Christ to be the righteousness that we needed. Ephesians, I'm going I'm to be quoting a lot of stuff from Ephesians because it's just a, such an amazing book. But Ephesians 2, 4, 5 would say it like this. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Listen, you need to understand that the righteousness that you have is never going to be enough to save you. It's never going to be enough to clear the record of debt that you have. You're never going to be good enough to save yourself. Listen, God publicly acknowledged that me and you, we both need a saviour. We've fallen short, we, we both need a saviour. And I'm going to say this boldly, but you have to hear the second part. God loves you as you are, but he's put in this place of sanctification that he wills his children to walk in. So when, once you understand that God delights in you, 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 you desire to know him. You want to, you want to know how he operates. You want to know how he thinks. You, you, you want to know what he says. And, and this changes everything. It changes how you read the Bible. Reading the word is no longer a duty. It's no longer a burden, but you read it because you desire him. You desire to be holy for him. You want to know him. Understanding that God delights in you changes prayer. It changes worship. It changes everything about your Christian walk. Your prayer life is no longer a wish list, but is a meaningful beautiful dialogue between you and your creator and where you understand what privilege and honour you have to stand before the king of kings to stand before the holy God that you understand that the veil of separation has been torn and that you get to refer to the king of kings you get to refer to the alpha and omega as Abba Father so once you truly understand that God delights in you, you will continually run towards him, even in your downfalls, even when you stumble, even when you fall. And it will ultimately lead into more worship, more reverence, greater intimacy with the Father, as you're truly made aware of his love. But a failure to understand that he delights in you, you create a strange relationship in where times where you're doing well, you and God are cool. But as soon as you fall, because you don't think he delights in you, it's very dark it's a very dark period for you. Reason being because you're, you try to clean yourself up first before going to him. And we all know that we can't do that. An example that I could give you is that um, I don't have children, but I know it from, because I, I used to be a child and I used to do it. If, if you was a toddler and you've, you've eaten and you've made a whole load of mess and your parents tell you to clean it up, but you want to watch your favorite, your favorite cartoon show or whatever, you want to jump on and watch some Nickelodeon, where you're going to clean it up is just, you're going to, you're going to make more mess. So you pour a little bit of soap, you get a, get a cloth, and you just probably mess up all the food into the, into the tables. You can't clean yourself, and that's like us spiritually. We can't clean ourselves up, we make more mess. So as I said, my hope and aim is to try and get you to understand God delights in us, because I believe it's the best motivator for what I've 
read in Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 3, pay much closer attention to what we have heard. The word, the gospel of your salvation, to set your eyes on Christ, to set your mind on things above where the King of Kings is seated, not to neglect this great salvation, not to drift away from this great salvation. So, once you understand, God, once you understand that God delights in us, it ultimately results in us delighting in Him. If you delight in something or someone, you have a greater tendency to do it with a disciplined lifestyle because you delight in it. Um, for example, um, gymnasts or boxers or performers, they delight in what they do, so they don't mind adhering to that strict regime of not eating this and not eating that and a strict diet or the strict fitness plan rather than you just trying to create some sort of discipline in your life hoping that it will result in delight or bring, back, bring about some sort of delight. So if you love God, if you delight in Him, if you delight in serving Him, if you, if you delight in His Word, you're more likely to carry that out with a much more disciplined lifestyle. Your desire to walk in holiness because you delight in the King of Kings. And if you don't delight in God, then regardless of what kind of discipline you try to put in order, it's not going to happen. You're going to stumble and fail. And that applies to everything in life. Um, example, if you, don't delight, if, you don't, if you despise working out, any form of discipline you put in, it's going to be a difficult journey in where you, 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 you're going to fail. Don't believe me? If you look at your New Year's resolutions last year, I know a whole lot of people, number one thing is to get fit. Two weeks into January, they ain't even going to the gym no more. They're just paying for a membership they're not using. So, if you don't delight in someone, something you try to put discipline in, it's rarely that you find yourself walking in that discipline then you, it causes you to delight in the thing that you're trying to walk in. But if you delight in it, you don't mind, putting a, you don't mind having a disciplined lifestyle because you delight in the thing, you delight in the person. So, as I said, my main focus is going to be in the area of God delighting in us, God delighting in his children. And I truly pray that the Holy Spirit opens up your eyes and ears to this word so that it really resonates with your, with your hearts, your mind, your soul. So, so that you're really able to grasp what I read in, in the context of um, Zephaniah 3.17. I just want to read it again because it's such an amazing verse. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is, the, this is the creator of the world. This is the Alpha and Omega. And this is what he's saying, his response is to us. That he's going to rejoice over us with gladness. That he's going to quiet us with, by his love. That he exalts over you with loud singing. This is just all characteristics of a loving father. As I did say in my last sermon that I did on um, what's it called, Sunday, I was like, this is the robustness of the gospel that God is both things. He's a just judge, but he's also a loving father. He does, he, he does have wrath and anger towards sin, but he's also slow to anger. You feel me? And if you just know God is the just judge, it's going to have a big strain on your walk. You need to understand that we can now refer to him as Abba Father. He loves us. He rejoices over you with gladness. So, understanding that he rejoices in you, it would cause you not to neglect this amazing salvation. You would continue to keep your eyes focused on the King of Kings. Despite your struggles, despite your heartaches, despite any downfalls, even any trials that you're going through, it will cause you to run more and more 
and hunger more and more for him, for Christ Jesus. So do you now see why the author of Hebrews displayed such urgency within the first chapter of Hebrews 2, in which it says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution or a just penalty, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. So, this amazing that we, this salvation that we have is so amazing. You need to understand that we were a people so wicked and far from God and Christ made propitiation for our sins in which 1 John 2, 1, 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation, meaning the act of appeasing or making well disposed of. So, as I said, Christ has made the believer holy. He has made the believer blameless. And now we have peace with God. That's Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, for the people who are taking notes. So, not only do we have peace with God, but he now delights in us. We have the privilege to run in, we have the privilege of running to him as Abba Father. I'm going to say that over and over again because you really need to realize the privilege and honor we have in this great salvation that we can run to the King of Kings, that we can run to the Creator. If you really read the Old Testament as we're going through um, now with PT and Leviticus, and, and you would see the, the priest when he would make, um, when he would pray and make prayers for the, for the rest of the Israelites and they would tie a, a chain or a rope with bells on his leg and he would go into the, the holies of holies. If you weren't holy enough, he's dead and nobody's going in to pull him out. They'll drag him with that rope. But this, this veil that covered the holies of holies, when Christ died, it is separated and we, having redemption in Christ, we're able to run towards him even in our downfalls because of Christ. So if you understand the privilege and the honour that we have as believers to run towards such a holy God, the Alpha and Omega, and refer to him as Abba Fawa. So I really, really want this to resonate with you guys, so you wouldn't neglect this salvation, that you wouldn't drift away, that you would keep your eyes on Christ, that you would keep your mind on the things above where the King of Kings is seated. So the... So Jesus has blessed us, with, blessed us with grace and mercy and this amazing salvation. The, the love of the Lord is so awesome that the ordinary man cannot fathom it. He cannot comprehend. He doesn't understand. This is why Apostle Paul labored in prayer for the church of Ephesus, that the Father might strengthen their inner man. So um, I'm going to read from Ephesians 3, um, 14 to 19, just to show you the, 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 the passion and the urgency Paul had for the church of, of Ephesus. That, they, that He wanted them to grasp this, to know the love that God had for them, the love that Christ had for them. So, yeah, it's up there. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. This is Paul. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's your spirit, man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith 
that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Saints, our Heavenly Father truly delights in His children. He truly delights in the believer. And I've best heard it illustrated like this. Um, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts the believer in order that you would not stray, but you would run towards Christ in meaningful worship. The Father disciplines us not because He loves us, not because He's irritated by our constant complaining or our poor attempts of walking accordingly, but because he loves us. He disciplines us to correct us that we might share in his holiness. Hebrews 12, um, 6 through 11 would say it like this. For the, Lord disciplines the one, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who, had, who disciplined us and we treat and we respect them. Shall we not more be subject to the father of spirit and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline may, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. He says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So saints, God's love, his actual character has led him to delight in us, to have compassion, to shed affection that at most times you just can't understand it, but it's my desperate prayer that the Holy Spirit would really enlighten your heart. The Father delights in us. He has compassion and we can see that all through Scripture. One example I'll give you is when you read um, um, the book of Colossians, it tells us that um, Christ is the exact imprint of the Heavenly Father. So if you read, if you read the Gospels, everything that Christ did towards um, um, us towards the people, all the affection and compassion he shows. That, that's, that's the Father's nature as well. And there's one scripture that just, when, I've read this over and over again, but when someone taught me, I was just like, wow, I never saw it like that. So we, we all know if you come from like a biblical background, the story of Lazarus and him dying. And basically, Jesus and his disciples were in a distant land and word got back to him that you need to come quickly now because your, your friend who you love we read that Jesus loved Lazarus. Your friend who you loved is really sick. And, you know, Jesus stays um, in, the, in the place where he is a couple more days. Lazarus dies. So Jesus and his disciples come over. And before, before he even reaches the town, he, he's, um, he sees Martha. And Martha comes up to him and Martha is weeping. He's like, Lord, if he was here, if he was here earlier, you would be able to heal him. And that's when we see the famous line of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And then Mary comes to him. And Mary's in the household with 
um, all the people who are mourning with her. So once she leaves the house, everybody thinks she's going back to the tomb to mourn for her son Lazarus. But she runs towards Jesus. So Jesus is, is mobbed by a people who are weeping, who are sad. And, and Mary says, why, why, why was you here on time? You could, have, you could have healed him. And what does it say? It says, Jesus wept. But before I even explain this, we understand that Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha and Omega. He knows everything. He sees all. He knows all. So Jesus, Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to get up, that he's going to raise him from the dead. We know this. But when Mary approaches him, and Mary starts crying, this is, this is, the, this is why I know our God is compassionate. Because imagine you had that power within you to raise Lazarus from the dead, and you were just swarmed by, um, you know, by, by a mob of people. Some of us would be really self-righteous and really proud of the power that we have, and we would probably give them some type of theology answer that, oh, I know it looks all harsh right now. It's like a stained glass. You're right up close to it. But if you take a step back, you'll see the bigger picture and it's beautiful. But Jesus doesn't do that. What Jesus does is, Jesus, it says Jesus weeps with her. Shortest verse in, in the scripture. Jesus weeps. The king of kings weeps. He knows that he's going to raise up Lazarus, but he weeps. He has compassion. And then we see him raise Lazarus from the dead. And there's so many examples I could pull out through scripture to see the compassion and the affection he has. But um, just for time's sake, this is actually the longest I've ever gone, boy. I'm usually like 30 minutes. and <laughs> So I'm actually quite happy. So, yeah. Um, God's love, his actual character has led, us to, led him to delight in us, to have compassion, to shed affection that the... Um, the normal man can't comprehend, but as I said, it's my, it's my desperate prayer that the Holy Spirit would really enlighten my heart and your heart to the riches of his glory, that he may grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, be root, that we being rooted and grounded in love may truly have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you and I may be filled with the fullness of God. So one more thing before I close. So I know before me now there are believers that are genuinely seeking after God, seeking after his heart, praying, paying much closer attention to what they heard that they might not drift away, that they might not drift away from this great salvation. They're keeping their eyes fixed and set on Christ. But at times they liken themselves to Peter when he got out of the boat when he had his eyes focused on his master, on his king, on, on the Christ. But when he saw the winds and the waves, scripture told us that he began to sink. And some of you might feel the same in saying that, Lord, I'm trying to, I'm, I, I, I'm trying to remain focused. I, I do hunger and thirst for you. I do crave for more holiness. I, I do want to walk with a much more holy lifestyle. I do want to be set apart and consecrated. But I keep on sinking because of distractions around me. And you might question yourself and ask, Lord, do you still want me? Do you still delight in me? Do you still want to use a constant failure like me? Well, I'm going to answer that. If all of us could turn to the book of Isaiah, that's Old Testament. And we're going to read from chapter 42. So Isaiah 42. I'm going to read the first three verses. there so scripture says behold my servant 
whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, he will bring forth justice to the nations, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. A bruised reed he will not break. A, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. God is merciful. He, he will restore. He will renew. Only way I can explain this to you is that, I know if you lots travel a lot, um, um, within, if you go, if anyone's been to Africa and you've gone, you've gone out from, away from the cities and gone towards more, more time the bush area or the rainforest or whatever. So you, you'll see, you might see little kids playing with reeds and basically they're just like thin sticks and they, you know, they make stuff out of them. But if a, if a, if a, if a, if a what's it called, if a reed is broken, they're not going to try and, 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 and sellotape that back. They're just going to throw it away because there's plenty more in the field. Same way with a, with a burning wick. I use a more western, a western view. Um, if you're burning candles, so to the females, I know you lots like that scented candle stuff if you're burning candles and basically um, the wick goes all funny and you have like a dozen candles and the wick goes all funny you're not going to spend your time getting a knife trying to, trying to get the wick out so you can burn it again you're just going to burn another candle so in reference and relations, relations to God you being a bruised reed he's not going to throw you away and say oh there's many humans in the world I'll just get another one or a burning wick oh, I'll just get another candle he restores, he renews. A burning reek, he will not break. A faintly burning wick, he will not quench. God is merciful, he will restore, he will renew. So finishing up, remember that we have an advocate and his name is Jesus. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's crowned with many crowns. And we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Listen, when, when Peter began to sink, you need to understand, yes, he, his eyes were focused and he saw the winds and the waves, but when he began to sink, scripture tells, that, scripture tells us that he cried out, Lord, save me. And scripture says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him. He didn't pause and look at him and then say, you have little faith, then reach out his hand. He immediately reached out his hand first. So if you're drifting away, if you're sinking, do not remain quiet. If you're neglecting, don't, don't remain quiet and neglect this great salvation. If you're drifting away, if, you, if, you, if you're being distracted by the winds and the waves, don't remain quiet while you sink, but cry out, save me, Lord, save me, because you need to understand that we have an advocate, meaning a benefactor, a supporter on our camp. The best lawyer, someone who intercedes for us, and his name is Jesus, and we have redemption in his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So as we go back into a time of worship, I know I've gone over time, but as you go back into a time of worship, I want us to respond in prayer and respond in worship. Maybe you're here today and you're sinking and you're, and you're drifting and you need to cry out. You've been sinking long enough and you've kept your mouth silent, but the Holy Spirit's tugged in your heart and he's told you to pay much closer attention. Don't drift away. Don't neglect this great salvation because how are you going to escape the just penalty? How are you going to escape the just punishment, the just retribution? Cry out to your advocate, Lord, save me. Or maybe you're here today, you've only just realized that the Lord truly does delight in you as a, as a child. 
and that you really want that to resonate with your souls. Where my best thing is, you don't want to learn it, you just don't want to know it theoretically, but you want to know it, that it would change the way you walk. That it would, it would cause you to strive for holiness, to hunger for more of him, to what it says in the book of Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, understanding that it's God who works in you both to war and work for his good pleasure. Or maybe you're, you're here today and all this is new to you. And the Holy Spirit's tugged on your heart. The Holy Spirit's convicted you and he's made you aware of your sinful nature. And you desire to seek God now. You desire to have peace with him. You, you want to be a child. You want him to delight in you. You desire all that. Well, scripture says in Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and the word believe, you need to understand, this is what Jesus was talking about, that it's more than that. It's to repent and believe. Repentance meaning a turning away from your sin. A believing meaning that you make Jesus not just your saviour, but your Lord. You submit to him. You lay your life down. So as we go into worship together, I implore you guys to really have the Holy Spirit examine your heart. To reveal your shortcomings to you that you might repent and run to your Father in beautiful worship, now that you know you have the privilege to run to Him as Abba Father. I plead with you to be honest with yourself and ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen your inner man, that you might comprehend the love that Christ has for you, that surpasses all knowledge, that you would continually keep your eyes focused on the one who saved your soul. Because it's so easy for us to hear this message and be like, yep, I'm on fire, I'm on fire. Monday comes, people are in their, their work, might not be surrounded by other Christians it's just the word I'm going to use pagans or heathens and then you know little by little you get swayed because you're not in your word no more you're not praying there's no fellowship and those are the distractions and you begin to think and you won't even cry out you won't even call out to the Lord because you think sinking is cool so I'm, I'm imploring you guys ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen your inner man that you would love Christ that you would understand the love Christ has for you, that you would be able to comprehend it, and that you would cause you to always keep your eyes focused on the one who saves, and you would realize that you have an advocate, that even in your shortcomings, you would always run to him. Even in your downfalls, you would always run to him. So as I call forth Jane and Kate, um, I'm going to close in prayer. Um, Father, Lord, I just bless you for this opportunity to teach. I give you praise and I exalt you. Father, I thank you for the lives of, the, of, your, of, your, of your children here, Lord. I thank you that you are, you, I thank you that you abound in grace and mercy. I thank you that you lavished it upon us, Lord. Father, I pray that you really give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Father, Lord. I pray that this message really resonates with us, Lord. That the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who sits above, that, that the world is his footstool, the lights in us. And we would understand what David says is that who, who am I that you are mindful of me? Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Father, I pray that you, 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 you make us fervent in spirit, Father, Lord, that we would be a church, a generation that hungers for you, that runs to you, that we would be a generation marked with holiness. So, Father, as we go into a time of worship and prayer, Father, Lord, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth because we know Scripture says that you are seeker for those that worship you in spirit and in truth. You're like a father. You want to be with us in our worship. So, Holy Spirit, teach us to worship in the way that we should. 
We know we have the privilege and honor to come to him as Abba Father, but teach us to fear him like we should, for he is holy. So I just give you praise and I exalt you, Father Lord. In your name I pray, amen.